Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And for this episode, we wanted to kind of bring up a personal issue, and it really kind of relates to, you know, what we're doing here. And um, sadly, our family suffered a tragedy recently where we lost um, an important family member, um, our uncle, who um, lost his fight with pancreatic cancer. He had it for about a year that we know of. Unfortunately, pancreatic cancer is one of the cancers that is really hard to detect, so you never really know when you might have gotten it or how long you've had it before you start showing real signs. He, he knew for at least a year and um, was doing all the chemo and everything. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he got too weak and, you know, we lost him recently. I don't necessarily bring this up to bring the mood down, but, you know, it is something that has, you know, deeply affected Nancy and I. So we wanted to kind of tell a little bit about him and how he plays a very important role in the fact that we even have this podcast. But also we're going to talk about two movies that he kind of introduced us to that we have some very vivid memories of watching with him. Just a little bit of background for all you kids out there who are too young to know what a VCR is or what dubbing a videotape is. Um, if it wasn't for our our Uncle Chris, we wouldn't have been able to record some of the early movies that we had because after we got our VCR, he had um, another, like, just... It wasn't a full VCR, but I think it was just a video recorder... And what you would do is you would hook that recorder up to your VCR, and then as you watch the movie on your VCR, you would record it to another tape with the other recorder. So if it wasn't for him loaning us this recorder before we got a second VCR, we wouldn't have so many movies or have been able to rewatch Star Wars or so many other movies that we had as a kid, as kids. I don't think so, we would have had bed knobs and broomsticks either for some reason. No, I think, I think he, gave, he us gave us those. That. He gave us bed knobs and broomsticks and Return to Witch Mountain. That was the other Or one. Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah. Escape to Witch Mountain yeah. is the first one. <laughs> I, I, I remember um, very vividly having um, his copy of the origin, the animated Hobbit movie. Mm. With the songs and everything, so when like the new Hobbit came out, you know the, the ridic, you know which is slightly entertaining but kind of ridiculous that they made three movies out of it. Um, and when I watched that, I was having like all these flashbacks, like oh I know this entire story because I've seen I saw the cartoon as a kid, and you can't it's not something that's super popular, and some people like really kind of laugh at that movie, but. For a little kid, it was great. You know, why is this little short guy going on an adventure? You know, it's great. But anyway, so again, we're really... It's taken a little bit of time to kind of really gather our thoughts and our feelings. Nancy and I had kind of talked about it. We talked about a couple movies, and we decided that it would be kind of good for us and a nice way of paying tribute to him to talk about a couple movies that we watched with him. Um, later in the episode, I'm going to be talking about the 1981 original clash of the Titans, but Nancy's going to get us started off talking about, um, mid eighties, kind of also medieval themed movie, um, with a little bit of magic in it called lady Hawk. So take it away, Nancy. Yeah. Thanks for all those really nice words that you said about Uncle Chris. I appreciate it. So first off, I'll just make a compare, you know, just a generalization of the two movies we're talking about. At the root, they're both love stories, but they're centered in the fantasy genre. Um, Chris, Chris liked fantasy. 
know, he he did. Lord and of the Rings was a very important series for him. I think the other and and sorry to interrupt, no, but go ahead. we had talked on a previous episode about Dragon Slayer. That was another movie that I remember him introducing me to. Like I remember yeah. watching Dragon Slayer. Like on like he was the first person that we knew that had one of those like nineteen eighties gigantic box like projection screens. Like one of those giant TVs that was like bigger than your couch. I remember being at his place, sitting on his floor, watching like Dragon Slayer and Clash of the Titans and Lady Hawk. Yeah. And yeah, so and, those kinds and of just another kind of personal note about him. At one point, he did have a ferret. So, of course, we grew up watching Beastmaster. So, also kind of putting into that, like, fantasy genre, you know. Real life A real ferret. life ferret. Not just, not just a movie ferret. No. A real life ferret. Yeah. So, that, was named, that was named after an, another animal, Piranha. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh... So both of these movies are fantasy movies, but at the root, they're both love stories. And Lady Hawk, a fairly simple story. They're, super, super you simple. Know, there's there's a lot of kind of religion and like like a monarchy within the religion. It's like the most powerful guy in the movie is a bishop, um, and he was a very jealous person. He was played by John Wood. John Wood, John, John who Wood. we've talked about before in War Games. Um, yes, he was pr- <laughs> Professor Falcon. Yes. He was a very, very jealous man, and he did not like the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer was not into him. And she was very much into Rugger Hauer. And Michelle Pfeiffer's character is Isabeau, and Rugger Hauer is Navarre. He put a curse on them and made it so that during the day, Rugger Hauer would be walking around in his human form, and she would be a lady hawk. And well, a it, hawk. A, well, like a, come on, lady hawk makes it sound like she's got like half half woman parts and wings. All right, she's a, she's a hawk <laughs> and a beak. She's it's like <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer with a beak and boobs and wings. <laughs> So, so she's a hawk uh, during the day, and at night she gets to be a human, and he is a wolf. So they can never be together as humans. And um, I think what they were explaining was that they don't remember what happens as their animal form. So it's like no. they're just having these half lives kind of thing. Yeah. So you have the two of them. You have the evil bishop, but we also have perpetual juvenile delinquent from the early 80s, <laughs> Matthew Broderick. The third movie we've now talked about with Matthew Broderick, where he is a complete juvenile delinquent. We've talked about him via juvenile delinquent in War Games, where he's, you know, Mr. Computer Genius. Ferris Bueller, of course. But now he is um, pickpocket Philippe, the mouse. And he ends up being rescued by Navarre during the day and ends up more or less kind of beholden to help them. And then once he finally figures out that um, this hawk that just doesn't seem to leave them alone, once uh, she gets shot by an arrow and he happens to see uh, Michelle Pfeiffer with a giant arrow out of her chest, like, oh, you're her? You're the hawk? (laughs) Oh, okay. Once he figures it out, but then he, like, sees Michelle Pfeiffer, who's like, wow, like, that's a face of love. I get it. I know why. I get why Wolfman is super into her, because, hello, she's Michelle Pfeiffer. I think think also, like, before he put two and two together, he saw her and was, like, almost kind of had a thing for her. Oh, yeah. But then, but then, like, immediately, like, was like, oh... She's yours, I guess. That's okay. Yeah. I could have just, I could just take advantage of her while you're a wolf and. Oh, whatever. Like Matthew Broderick had the kind of game that could get Michelle Pfeiffer back then. She wants a cool writer. She does not want, (laughs) she does not want Matthew Broderick. I'm sorry. I mean, between, between a cool writer, Scarface and Matthew Broderick. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, no. So, um, 
so you know the movie goes along with oh and and he had escaped prison so the guard so the bishop and all of the guards at the Anquila, I think Aquila, I think is the name of the town. They're all trying to get him back and throw him back in the dungeons and eventually hang him because, you know, nobody escapes. But he somehow like slithered through like Andy Dufresne through a drain pipe yeah. and was able to escape from the dungeons. He definitely Andy Dufresne the entire the entire thing. Exactly. Yeah. Ten years before yeah. Andy Dufresne existed, by the way. Maybe that's where Stephen King got the idea. I don't think so. <laughs> he was watching, he was like watching Lady Hawk on HBO one night. And he's like, that's a really good idea to break out of prison. <laughs> um, although there were no posters of fancy 50s movie stars back then. So, um, so basically the story is just, are they going to be able to break the curse? Is Rugger Hauer going to kill the bishop? Is Matthew Broderick going to get recaptured and sent back to the dungeon? And everything ultimately works out. There's a solar eclipse, which kind of triggers, breaks the curse, and um, the two human forms are able to reunite. And instantly, you would think after all this time, maybe the bishop would have learned his lesson, maybe just let it go. But he was right about to kill, try to kill Isabeau, and... um, he didn't realize how awesome Navarre's sword was, which we'd seen a few times earlier in the movie. He had thrown it, like, across, like, 30, 40 feet, and it, like, sticks a, a tree real per- perfectly. And, no, Navarre knew how to wield that sword. And well, and now that Michelle Pfeiffer is a human again, now she can see how he wields that sword. Ex- yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> so... So yeah, so then it so it all works out. Bishop dies, and uh, the the two humans get to be back together as humans. And much like lots of love stories, it ends with them getting back together. The end. There's no yeah. there's no getting to find out. Do they make it work? Are they going to get divorced after a couple years? Are they going to get bored no. with each other? They're gonna when they're in London. You know, he she's not going to meet some other guy and. <laughs> No, no, we don't get any of that. We just get them like him swinging her around. And although the very last shot of her, I don't know if you notice this, she holds her arms up like she's about to fly. It's like she can't get it out of her system that she once used to be a bird. Um, But but so that's that's basically the movie. This movie. But but there is something super, super goofy about this movie, Matt. And it is the music. Exactly. I do not Thank know you. if there is an 80s movie we've watched with maybe more annoying music than this. Hence the other Uncle Chris connection, music by Alan Parsons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was yes, so the, bizarre. It, although, let me tell you, let me it, tell you it, what it made me think of. I used to listen to a radio show by a guy named Mike Malloy, and the opening credits was a Phil was like a Royal Philharmonic version of Run Like Hell by Pink Floyd. That's what I was mm-hmm. looking up when I started watching this movie and listening to the credits. I'm like, what the hell was that song that I used to hear at the beginning of that radio show for two or three years that I listened to? And oh man, this music was just the worst. I will say this. There not only is the music like bad because it's like it's just like so misplaced you're watching it and you're like this music does not belong in this movie at all no and then it's really weird about halfway through the movie the music changes to where instead of it being like weird electronic music it changes to like more traditional classical music yeah i think i like finally like, yeah, heard you, some like clarinets and i heard and some, strings yeah. and like things to make it seem more like a like fantasy movie yeah like medieval fantasy movie it and it made watching this movie more challenging than it needed to be because this movie is very simple yeah i mean it's an it's an hour and a half there's a lot of like traveling and like bat like montages with this b- terrible music um so the movie could probably be like 45 minutes long it picks up i will say that and it, it, and it does up pick like up halfway it picks through up. the movie yeah. it finally gets a much better pace cuz i was i was really bored 
for about it was a cha- half it's of challenging. It. <laughs> it's challenging, but it's a, it, it is like such a simple love story. And the concept, I think, is really is kind of interesting. The yeah. fact that there's this curse and and that yeah. they can't be on Earth as in the same form at the same time. You know, I think that's, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting story. Yeah. Um, but man, the, you're right. The music just makes it so hard to watch. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's, and, and and it's really just the music from like the opening until about halfway through the movie. And then it, and and then I found it very strange that it kind of changed. And I mean, we talked about never ending story and how it has kind of goofy music, Yeah, but there's so many goofy things about that movie to where you kind of, it it gets a pass. Yeah. It's a pass. It it, it fit, this movie fit the feel of everything. This is like, you've got evil religion, man, who's trying, it, it, it seemed like there should have been maybe more like horns or maybe more like deep sounding drums or just, yeah. Violin or something. I mean, more more orchestra, (laughs) more orchestra and not, you know, yeah, Yeah, not Mr. Not yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say one yeah. other thing I wanted to point out about the style of this movie, and I swear to God, I think Matthew Broderick used this movie for his audition for Ferris Bueller because he doesn't exactly talk into the camera the same way Ferris Bueller does, but he's talking to himself the whole movie, which is very yeah. much like Ferris Bueller. So it it was just kind of funny to to think about that while I was watching him be himself. And of course, oh, and let's also point out there's like no consistency for accents for anybody in this movie. Like no one has. Oh, there's no yeah, regional accent not, that everybody no. has decided to adopt. It's just kind of uh I mean, the names make it sound like it's got to be somewhere in Europe because they because the priest that helps them makes it sound like the bishop wouldn't even be allowed in Rome. So it's not in like it was a filmed, fake land. It's no, but it was it was places, but it was filmed all in Italy. So mm. you know, it, it kind of has you know maybe it's supposed to be something like that. But the cinematography is beautiful. There were plenty of really pretty shots, especially of like. Her flying around, you know, as her lady hawk self, and yeah. there's a sp- there's a scene towards like the very, like the last thirty minutes where she's flying over a lake, and you know her the tips of her wings keep kind of catching the water, and that that was really pretty. Um, I'm very maybe, much into nature um, photography, so that's maybe that maybe nice. maybe um, they. C- had such a high budget with animal wrangling that they had to like like go on the cheap on the music. I don't know. <laughs> it was silly. Well, the you know, it's funny is this movie was directed by Richard Donner. Lethal Weapon, right? And Goonies and like a bun- like a ton of movies and I'm just like this is so it was very out of place. <laughs> it was all- very kind of kind of bizarre. <laughs> I also want to say I really do like the font of the title in the very beginning. Yeah. I like the Lady Hawk font. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Well, I mean, and Richard, I mean, Richard Donner did, you know, Lethal Weapon. He did Superman, you know. Mm-hmm. You know he, and, I love Superman. And um, so, I mean, it's not that he... I mean, he did The Omen. Like, that. that's one of my favorite horror movies. So it's not that, you know, this guy's a schlub or something like that, but man, you're watching this movie and you're like, well, it's it's well directed. It's beautiful cinematography. Mm-hmm. The act the acting is yeah, good. It's fine. not a terrible. But man, dude, what why'd you go on the cheap on the music? Maybe <laughs> he know. lost a bet. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe Alan to Parsons Alan- was <laughs> was just saddled with the project no matter what. Like you can make Lady Hawk but we cannot like this. Maybe Alan Parsons has a friend at the studio, and insisted mm. he'd be part of this movie. I don't know. It was we'll it, the, mus- it. the music is by far the worst thing about this movie, and can pull you out of it at any moment. But we'll call it the Alan Parsons Project. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but you know, um, Michelle Pfeiffer is my girl. We've talked about her for a long oh, time. Well, and you know, know what? Know. You can't say anything bad about Michelle Pfeiffer. You can't. And, and you know what? I was watching this. I was thinking about it. She's just got such an incredible career. She's been in so many things. 
she's she just, has. She's just been busy her whole acting career. There really are not that many gaps, and it just reaffirms how much I think she's just so awesome. I'm so glad I got to. I mean, she's she's my favorite part of this movie, and Matthew Broderick's great too. I mean, he's goofy, but he's he's really good in this. I think Rucker Howard's pretty good. He he's good too. He um. You know, he kind of is playing off the whole kind of dark vibe that he has in Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of feel like that same kind of quiet darkness. Not, but... uh, But he's not a replicant in this. No. No. (laughs) I hadn't seen Blade Runner before seeing this. I saw this long before I ever saw Blade Runner, so... This This is maybe my first experience watching him. Well, this might have only been, like, like I do, re- I remember like the first time we watched this was at Chris's house. Yeah. Like he was just like, oh, you you should watch. We should watch this movie, and he wanted to watch it, and we watched it, and we were like, <laughs> we were young, and we were just like, oh, cool. It's it, it's a bird. It's a it's a dog. Whatever. This is cool. But and and um, it had my Stephanie Zanoni in it. Come on, like like I would turn that down. Yeah, I probably at that time did not like really weigh into it that much as far as the actors. I mean, I was probably yeah, like, you were like six. You were like I was six like, ooh, maybe. war games. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, um, but I liked, like, you know, fantasy movies anyway. So, yeah. you know, it, it was fun. But, yeah, I probably fell asleep watching it. So, yeah. on the carpet. Anyway, I, I mean, yeah, the music. That's probably the, it's the worst. By far the goofiest thing about it. But, you know. That's all right. I wonder if there, it would be cool if there was, like, an alternate, like, audio track that you could have where you could change what the music well, you is. Know, you know what? It's funny you say that because have you ever heard the theory that you can play Dark Side of the Moon at the beginning of Wizard of Oz? And I've I think, done it. Okay. Done it. And, and it only takes you up until she lands in Oz, right? Is that yeah, where the, you do the, it. the CD ends? You start it with the second roar of the lion when the MGM logo comes on. Okay. And then you watch it, and pretty much it ends when she gets into Munchkinland, I think. Okay, so the house has already fallen. Yeah, because there's some... And basically the whole concept is, like, if you listen to it while you're watching the beginning of Wizard of Oz, there are some slight connections lyrically to certain scenes that you see. And is it... It's, I think, more of a fun thing to do and possibly better if you're really high. But Would other than that, <laughs> but other than that, um, it, it's more just an excuse to another excuse to listen to Dark Side of the Moon, as far as I'm concerned. So but like when money starts, I think there's like a money scene that happens and I feel there's something there's some there's like a like there's there's just certain lines that happen in it that kind of coordinate and I think I, I did it once and I was like well, that was interesting. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> what would be interesting now since we all have the ability to um, watch subtitles is to like put it on and have subtitles turned on but listen to the soundtrack oh my god that's like over stimulus (laughs) over stimulus if you can't remember what the dialogue is in the movie i wonder what song comes on when she sings somewhere over the rainbow that'd be interesting i don't remember like i said i did it once and um it's been a long time since i've listened to that album like in its entirety so um i wouldn't even be able to name all the songs off of it to try and guess i do know that it's probably my favorite pink floyd album so yeah but we digress yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i don't really have any other comments about lady hawk i mean do you have anything else you want to say about it um it was it was for nostalgia reasons yeah. and in, to honor our uncle. It was great yeah. to rewatch it, um, but I would not put it in heavy rotation only because no. oh, just just for the simple fact that like it's it's not overly complicated or anything, and you know the 
the torture of the music would outweigh my desire to want to rewatch it. So. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> if anyone wants to uh, start a petition to um, reorchestrate uh, Lady Hawk <laughs> to to gain its popularity, I will fully back that um, that hashtag. <laughs> I almost want. I would almost rather figure out, like with Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. I wonder if there's an album that could be played and listen to that while watching Lady Hawk and not listen to any of the dialogue. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch that. Yeah. Sorry. I will say if you do that, Matthew Broderick is actually very funny in this. And there's yeah. plenty of things. You have to that, keep his dialogue. You have to keep all the dialogue. Yeah. You I mean, he's, to, he definitely yeah. has a lot of really good one-liners yeah. and yeah. very kind of sarcastic yeah. observations, especially in the beginning when he's escaping. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Hashtag rescore Lady Hawk. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Everybody, get it, get it trending. Okay. Well, with that being said, I'd like to talk about a movie that um, I've actually watched quite a few times. Um, it's in my like fantasy movie rotation, and it's probably the closest I've ever learned to any Greek mythology. You know what? I made, Sadly. That, I made that same observation over the weekend when I watched it. Like, this is probably where most of my Greek mythology knowledge comes from. And, and that's probably not a good thing because and it's, probably, it, it, it's not it's not 100% accurate. And it's probably, <laughs> I don't know if it's 75% accurate. <laughs> it's probably where you've heard the word pity more than anything else, because they certainly say pity about 35 times at least in this movie. And they're not describing peaches or anything. It's pity. They're not, what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> anyway. We're going to talk about the original 1981 Clash of the Titans, um, starring Sir Laurence Olivier as Zeus and Harry Hamlin as his son Perseus. And the basic story is Zeus has impregnated Perseus's mom. And she is at already married to, like, another king. Was she married yeah. or is she just the daughter? I think she's oh, just the daughter. the daughter. The daughter of the yes. other king. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused. I, I, I got a little confused by this because, Nancy, I once again overachieved. And in order to... T- I thought about when I talked about this... I should watch the remake of Clash of the Titans. Why? I I never saw it, but I have no interest in it. I'll tell you this. The effects are good. The action's good. Liam Neeson as Zeus. Mm. Um... But it is very different. No, thanks. Similar... A lot of same characters. Whole story very different. No, thanks. Uh, So... If you are like a if you are a diehard original like Clash of the Titans fan, you know, with the um, Harryhausen Hamlin, uh, the Harryhausen um, special effects. Oh, if you love that kind of look, you know, all the stop motion. This is a great fun movie. This was also, I think, our introduction to Burgess Meredith before Rocky or watching old episodes of Batman, the the TV series. And he's great in it. So anyway, Perseus is is kind of this bastard child of Zeus. So he's a demi. So he's a demigod and he's thrown into the ocean with his mom and they land on an island. He's raised by someone else. And he grows up and Zeus is like, he needs to, you know, there he is. He's he's there, but he's in this time. He's pissed off the goddesses that he's with. The main goddess that he pisses off is um, is Thetis, (laughs) played by Dame Maggie Smith. So awesome. Who 
who, I'm sorry, but young day Maggie Smith, she's a looker, man. Yeah. She's a looker. Yeah. She doesn't look, She, you know, Harry Potter Maggie Smith, you know, she's she's looking pretty pretty old there, but. So was Downton Abbey Maggie Smith. Oh, yeah. I don't even watch that, so. Oh. but Mom and I do. But, um, Yeah. She's amazing. And, uh, she's, she's she's great. She's, she's badass. She's, <laughs> she she is, and she's really good in this. But um, she she's mad at Zeus because her son Calibus gets cursed and turned evil because he's been killing all of Zeus's flying horses. So she's pissed off at Zeus. So she takes Perseus and puts him into no man's land in Argus. And so starts the adventure. And basically he gets to Argus, falls in love with Andromeda. They are they are set to get married. And then Maggie Smith is like, no, 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 no. Her, her head um, comes off a giant statue. <laughs> uh, and she curses Argus and says, you have to sacrifice Andromeda to the Kraken or I will destroy Argus. They're actually in Joppa. Oh, they're, Joppa. Their town you're is right. Joppa. Joppa. Argus, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. It's okay. Joppa is where Andromeda and Cassiopeia and all of them are. Whereas Argus is the the is where Perseus is from, which got destroyed is, after which got destroyed after his grandpa the, the, cast them away. Yeah, <laughs> in the opening, and so we see that in the opening scene of the movie. And um, I remember. So then he start he, in order to stop the Kraken from destroying Joppa. He goes on this adventure to try and figure out how to stop the Kraken. So he goes and visits the Stygian witches, who are three blind witches, but they're all-knowing. And they tell him, you need to cross the River Styx to the Island of the Dead to go get Medusa's head. Which will turn, can turn with the look, even if it's, even if she's dead will turn any living thing to stone, and that's how he's going to kill the Kraken. So, you know, he goes and sees Medusa, gets her head, comes back to, to <laughs> Joppa. You make it sound so easy, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's too, totally easy. Uh, goes back to Joppa, uses it, turns the Kraken to stone, saves the day, every, you know, everyone's happy, the end. Why do I like this movie? Well, number one, it's awesome. like I said, um, we had seen this with our Uncle Chris, so there's definitely some sentimental feelings to it. And I think about him every time I watch this movie. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter when I've watched it, what the situation is, I always think of him. But the other reasons are this was my introduction to like really good, really cool like old time visual effects with stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. And you see it in so many movies. You see, I see it, you see it in star Wars with like the Tauntauns and, and in empire. And if it wasn't for the production and the, and the stop motion of Ray Harryhausen is just in full force in this movie. And you see it in almost every scene. So if you are into that, it's cool. But again, like some of the some of the story you do not use. Like if you are in school studying Greek mythology, the only thing that you really need to learn from that you can learn from this movie, not need to, but the only thing you can learn from this movie is names of, <laughs> of Greek, go- Greek <laughs> gods and stuff, because like the Kraken, for example, isn't even in Greek mythology. It's a Norse mythology kind of thing. So, I mean, they're they're taking from all 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 different kinds of mythology in this. So, you know, don't try and write a paper 
on Greek mythology based <laughs> on anything you get from this movie. Because I might have tried to do that at some point, and I did not succeed. Mm. So here's a tip. Greek mythology loosely used properly in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I remember being scared shitless as a little kid on the Medusa scene. I forgot she was, like, mostly a snake. Um, she's mostly a snake. Her head is full of snakes. Yeah. And she has acid for blood. Yeah. And... She's, she's scary. She is freaking... That whole, like, like in the music and everything well, in that scene is very... you hear the her rattling very, that whole time. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the snake rattle and everything like that. Yeah. No. I remember, like... This was a movie where, like, I had a blanket that had, like, a hole in it because I had used it all the time. Like, I would I would be, like, under the blanket with my eye peering out the hole to watch that scene. And then immediately it ends. And when it's over, the next thing you see is they're getting attacked by gigantic scorpions that are, ma- that, that, that are made from her blood. And it just... As a little kid, this movie was... Me- was pretty it's scary. very scary. Especially because the animation is so good. The, they look so real. I mean, yeah. to a kid. I mean, do they look like that real compared to like what they do today? No. But it was great. At though. the time, it was great. And then you've got this love story with Harry Hamlin, who like I was thinking about this and I was like, Harry Hamlin, what do I know him from? Well, there was this very obscure baseball movie that I had seen him in um, as a kid. And then where he was like a rich guy in it. I saw this. I saw L.A. Law. That's yeah. And then as far as I know, he dropped off the map for me. Then he was on Mad Men. Yes. And then after Mad Men, I picked up starting watching Veronica Mars and he's in that. Yep. And I was like, Wow, this guy's this guy's pretty good. Yes, and, Nancy. And for me, he's married to a woman named Lisa Renna, and they've been on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for like five or six seasons. So he'll pop in on that every now and then. She's also, I think she also makes an appearance on she, Veronica Mars. She plays his wife, and which is amazing because they're they're really married. They're actually able to show real photos of them over the years in Veronica Mars. There you go. Yeah. That's a fun show. You guys should check that out. Yep. It's just one of those movies where, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, you probably saw this. And, and, and like, you know, and eventually, like, we had it, we had a dub of it. We watched it, you know, this was definitely one that was on TBS. Like, you would probably have, like, the fantasy, like, double feature of this and Beastmaster. You know, clearly that was always on. Yeah. Rewatching this was not just, you know, emotional for me because of the history, but yeah. it's just a fun kind of movie. Now, I will admit there are parts of it that are kind of slow, but, you know, it, it the payoff at the end is really good. It's, That's where the action fine. really picks I up. Think, I think the pace is fine. I know we we had a lot of colorful comments about the music in our previous movie. I think the music for this fits great. I think the upbeat oh, yeah. quality of this makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. I think, I mean, you actually, even though he's on a very scary journey, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of, there's very high stakes in this movie. I mean, yeah. his girlfriend, hopeful wife, is going to get strapped to a rock and be killed by the Kraken if he cannot solve this problem and I mean and he barely gets there in time I mean his horse shows up his flying horse Pegasus shows up in the nick of time I mean he even drops Medusa's head in the water and the mechanical owl has to help out with an assist but this movie's excellent um, I, re- I mean like I said I, t- I mentioned it earlier I learned all about what pity meant while watching this movie because they talk about pity all the time. They pity... Calibus is really the one that gets a lot of pity. Um, they don't really say a lot of other adjectives. There's not, like, necessarily, like, mercy or... It's it's really, like, pity. Um, but 
you know, Calibus, he's super scary. And as Calibus I, was pretty freaky looking. He's very freaky, and he just, he's so evil. And I love the, I love the description. I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. So I kind of forgot some of the, um, like, exposition that they set, you know, to kind of explain why was Calibus cursed and what did he do. And it wasn't just oh. that he killed Zeus's horses. He was a big asshole. Like, he he was really mean. He was a jerk. He was really yeah. mean and destructive and nasty to everybody. And it yeah. sounds like um, Andromeda, sure, she was fine with him. She was, you know, she was set to marry him and all that. But I'm sure deep down she was like, this guy is such a jerk. Like, when's he going to start hitting me, too? I mean, if he's abusive yeah. to all these animals, you know he's going to take it out on me or the kids at some point. Um, so he, He's got anger issues. He's got anger totally. issues. So he gets transformed and lives in that swamp. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate birds so much more. I think birds are wonderful. But I'm not down with vultures. And his, like, main bird is this big, giant vulture that has that little cage that he that she her soul or his her sleepwalking soul gets put in and they, more, they're more still amazing scary. more amazing stop motion with that vulture yeah too it was, more it amazing was stop motion. wild but then like all those caveman people that they had in his swamp and they're just you know there were a lot of obstacles for Perseus to deal with um, yeah but but I thought it was great. I mean, and again, there's some basic qualities with the love story. You know, I mean, although it is a little creepy that, you know, he puts on his invisible helmet thing to go sneak up in her room to go take a look at her while she's sleeping. Um, but I guess we'll... Maybe, he, maybe they're into that. Maybe they're into that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he saves day, and it's great. I mean, but I'll, I'll always remember, you know, when... Maggie Smith's gigantic goddess head is on the ground and yeah. she like gives out the ultimatum in 30 days. You know, I, I remember hearing that so well and um, I just think it's great. Do you, do you remember, and now this is just getting super personal, do you remember like when I was maybe 12, 13, 14, I had a set of hair curlers that you used to say I looked like Medusa when I had them on? Uh, yeah, they were like kind of they were like the, really flexible. Yes, and you kind of yeah. coil them up, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were very Medusa y. Yeah. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> I don't want to look at you through a mirror or my sh or the reflection in my shield. Yeah, yeah I do remember that, and um, you know, I think I think that's one of the things that's kind of cool about um, this movie too is, you know, while she freaked the sh you know freaked me out as a kid. You know, that being introduced to a character like Medusa was was like one of those cool kind of like, oh, this is what like mythological creatures were like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like the the two headed dog oh. that they fight. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, the you know, even though it's not Greek, but the but the Kraken and I, you know, all these creatures from from all these stories is kind of cool to kind of see and you know they don't necessarily everyone's got their own kind of take like everyone just knows that Medusa was like a snake body with snake hair you know yeah. and in everything but and no voices know. I don't think the, she spoke no but the art again you know the artistry in making a movie like this is so great so. and you know the reason that Medusa became Medusa was she was getting in on some action that Aphrodite was all interested in. She hooked right. up with one of the gods, and yep. Aphrodite was super jealous and was just like, mm, okay, well, curse for you. Here's yeah. a curse for you. I mean, these gods. We're talking about two movies where religion really screws things up. We've got the evil bishop in Ladyhawk, and we've got all these Greek gods that are just... It's like they're like in high school or something. Speaking of Aphrodite, yep. Aphrodite was played by Ursula Andress. The mother of <laughs> Harry Hamlin's child. Yes, they hooked up ma while making this. Yep. They, they yep. hooked up. But here's the crazy thing about this. Ursula Andress 
had her name on the movie poster because she was hot at that at the time that this had come out. She was in and a doc. Uh, she was Dr. in one no, of the right? bo- she, she was in a Bond movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She says one line in this movie. Just one. She says like one line in this movie. Wow. And she got and she got billed on the on the poster based on her popularity. So. Yeah. I mean. I would have put Burgess Meredith or, you know, on this on this poster before before Ursula Andress if it comes down to, to dialogue. But I would have put Burgess Meredith because he was my favorite character. I really like him on this. I actually think that my favorite character is Maggie Smith. Well, she's great, Maggie too. Smith. I mean, Thetis. she's she's just she's just so and she's not even like a villain. Like, I don't even see her as a villain. She just. But she's the one that puts the curse on Joppa. So. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? She's great though. She's she's very very memorable. And she's taking care of her son. She's pissed off at Zeus. Zeus is. I mean, think of it. Zeus. Zeus in this, like, he might be all powerful, but he ain't like the savior of people. He's not like the kind of god that you know shows a lot of care or morality no, or anything like that. No, there's a lot. He he's, plays he's favorites. Just, he's just he's just a he's just a mega powerful dude yeah. that everyone should be afraid of. Yeah, I mean, he, essentially, Perseus has the charmed life he does because of nepotism, not yeah. for not because of anything he actually did or achieved personally, not because of his own merits. You know, he is an, kind of an example of a little bit of white male privilege. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, I will I will say this. When I watched the remake, like, because I, I had seen the remake years ago, was not impressed because I have, yeah. it would never replace my my love for the original Clash of the Titans. Yeah. But when I watched the remake, I, I really kind of watched it, and it was almost like, oh, it's just a completely different movie. I mean, there's so many things that are different about it. I can't even get started, but... Like, it's more of an action movie than a love story. Like, Perseus isn't even interested in in Andromeda. Hmm. He's not even really interested in her. That and doesn't make any other, sense. And there's other characters and everything, but... I will... The one thing about... Um, the difference between Perseus in... The original versus the remake is... In the original... Perseus might like kind of know he's the son of Zeus, but he never really takes it as like, oh, I'm the son of Zeus or he doesn't really care. In the remake. Perseus hates Zeus and is pissed and he's like, like he thinks he's a dick. You know, he just Mm. he just doesn't want to have anything to do with him Mm. and bored. I. And, and you can't really like. There's nothing redeeming about Perseus either. There, like he, you don't even really care. Who was he played by? Sam Worthington. And, and who was, that's who was, another problem like, right there. And He's like, so boring. And, 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 and well, not just the, not. And, and you know, I mean, I don't as know an actor, guy, like, I not, haven't heard anything. But he had a stretch where he was just like, like, like on. It's like he did fucking Avatar, which is terrible. He gets cast in all these movies. All about the same time, and you know, to no fault of his, he's like, I want to fucking work, so he takes these jobs. But man, he he's just he's not Harry Hamlin, and, and he, he is not an he's not a value add for any of these movies. He's just blah. And let's be honest, Harry Hamlin was the sexiest man alive in the eighties at one point. So I don't think anyone's nominating. Um, no one's nominating Sam Worthington to be sexiest man alive because he's just too boring. You may as well no, no. you may as well nominate a cardboard cutout of a person. But I mean, there's a lot of like good. Sorry, actors Sam in Worthington there. fans of the world. But, yeah, well, yeah. but I mean, there's a. I mean, if you look at the cast of the remake, besides Sam Worthington, you got like Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, Mads Mikkelsen. You got Liam Cunningham, who was in uh, played Davos in uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, you got freaking Lucas Holt in it. <laughs> Yeah. And was it Lucas Holt? Is that his, how you pronounce it? Yeah. Nicholas Holt. I'm sorry. Oh. Nicholas Holt. Oh. You got was this when Nicholas Holt, Holt had gotten hot? Because about a boy, Nicholas Holt is very awkward and young and silly looking. 
Is this when he after he'd done been in uh, the X Men movies? Yes, and had grown up a bit. I think so. But either way, or just Sam, before Sam Worthington is enough of a reason for me to never watch that movie. And you okay. said he, so it's not about a, there's the love story is like minimal if at all. He he had he has a love interest with another um, Greek mythological goddess named Io oh. instead. <sighs> I don't know. I'm just not yeah, not no into it. And then they made a and then they made a sequel to that. Wow. <laughs> just not not down. But definitely would recommend people, you know, I mean, it's an older movie, so, you know, you got to be in the mood for that. It's not like, you know, you're not getting fast and furious kind of action in this movie, but it's so great, know, though. It's fun. It's so it's really good. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for, um, you know, if you took the time to listen and, you know, thought about someone that you cared about that may have inspired you to watch a movie. I mean, and maybe you should try and do that. You know, think about it. Think about someone that you care about that makes you enjoy, you know, putting something on or reminds you of watching a movie or, because um, sometimes those moments that you have in your life where that you share with someone, you don't even realize like how important they are until that person's not around anymore. Yeah. So, um, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Nancy for um, always doing this with me. Yay! I want to thank I want to thank Podcat for sitting on my lap this entire time. He was very quiet not, tonight. He was very quiet. Little guy. Anyway, follow us on on you know social media. Share share your thoughts with us. Maybe you have a movie that is special to you that you that makes you think about someone that you want to recommend. We're all we're always open here. Oh, just want to do a quick check, Nancy. How many movies are you up to now this year? It's like almost two hundred and sixty. Wow. I'm almost I'm almost on pace where I only need to watch one more movie, one movie per day. I'm I've been I've been doing some backlog work to get there cuz I wanna, I was about to say I want to end the last 2 to 3 months of the year with just the one movie per day pace, but when I started really keeping track, I looked it up, it was June 1st when I finally started numbering them. That was number 69. So I was already like more than 80 movies behind at that point. So Wow, you are you're you're catching up. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so many movies. Good job. Thanks. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting Over the VCR. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs>